Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is William Deer. He goes by Bill, but it's he, uh, William C. Deer is his formal name. But he published a book back in 2012 titled, OJ is Innocent and I Can Prove It, The Shocking Truth About the Murders of Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman. And this is not Mr. Deer's only book. He's also published in 1990, Please Don't Kill Me, The True Story of the Milo Murder. And then in 1985, a book titled The Dungeon Master, The Disappearance of James Dallas Egbert III. And during the last five decades, Bill Deere has worked all over the world, including the continental U.S., Canada, Mexico, the United Kingdom, Western Europe, and the Orient, Asia, and the Caribbean on predominantly homicide investigations. He began his career as a police officer in Miami, Florida. In 1961, he opened his own investigation agency titled William C. Deere and Associates, in Dallas, Texas. He is a renowned and entertaining motivational speaker for business, higher education, training, workshops, and banquets. His experience includes the International Council of Investigative Reporters and Editors in St. Louis, Missouri, Dr. Henry Lee Markle Symposium in New Haven, Connecticut, SMU Law School in Dallas, Texas, and the Backlot Film Festival in Culver City, California. As a certified instructor in the field of homicide, Dear lectures and teaches the law enforcement officers and investigators around the world. And his website is his name, www.billdeer.com. So B-I-L-L-D-E-A-R.com. And you can see references and links to his three books there. But again, we're going to talk about this interesting subject. Title of the book is OJ is Innocent and I Can Prove It. So Mr. Deer, Deer welcome to the show. Thanks for the uh, coming on the show. Well, thank you, Mr. Ramsey. Um, for people who may not have heard of your background, can you talk about, I mean, you have a long career. Can you talk about what led you to write this book, O.J. is Innocent and I Can Prove It? Well, I think it's on uh, June 12th when the murders occurred. And somebody called me and told me about it, and I listened to it. And then we had a lot of, as you know, it was immediately uh, uh, somebody all over the country was talking about O.J. Simpson and the murders. I found it extremely interesting and I felt that, okay, I, I'll follow this thing, but I may be more interested in that. And as a result of that, uh, I, my staff kind of bet me, would I be willing to go out there and see for myself? And I said, yes, I did. So I took one of my men, Chris Stewart and I, and we flew out there a couple of days after the murders, um, parked in front on uh, Dorothy, I mean, on, on front of uh, Nicole's residence went down uh, Dorothy Street, like they described, um, went down the alleyway toward where the back of Nicole's house is. Um, I then decided that I'd like to see for myself, uh, you know, how it started and, and exactly what was going on. Because, you know, when you listen to newspaper people and you listen to um, people telling stories, they always seem to exaggerate it. And I'm one of those that I like facts, not fiction. Uh, I, when I read a fiction book, then I know it's fiction. But I climbed over the back gate. I had one of my men, Chris Stewart, like I said, parked up front just in case the police came. And so I climbed over the back gate and walked that walkway and up the steps, down the steps. Next thing you know, I'm toward the front of uh, uh, where her residence is. I look to the right. There's her picture window. Um, I realized that whoever it was that did the killing, if it wasn't OJ, she would have had a clear observation before she opened the door who it was. I sat down on the stoop 
um, looked around, trying to get perspective in my mind of what could have gone on, giving OJ the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I do know that some departments have a tendency to make a rush to judgment. Uh, I didn't feel it was right for me to make that kind of a great statement until I knew exactly all the facts. So that's when it began for me. I went back home, uh, watched the trial. Then I realized fully that OJ wasn't guilty. Well, if OJ wasn't guilty, who is guilty? And that began my 25, 27 year search for the truth. And as far as I'm concerned, I found the truth. And so what were the initial things that made you think that he was not guilty? Or he well, was innocent. I, first of all, jumping over the back gate is not easy. I knew he had problems. Uh, he wasn't the football player that he used to be as far as running down and uh, getting away with what he was doing as far as the Hertz commercials and things like that. Uh, I called several friends of mine, and they also said the same thing, that they were kind of shocked that, uh, that OJ uh, would have committed the murders. They said he was kind of a person who might lose his temper on the golf course, uh, but then I started looking at it in a different perspective again. Um, what would make him do it? We knew that uh, uh, he was in the middle of a divorce, or at that time, I think it was finalized. I'm not quite sure. been a long time. But I looked at all the aspects of the case and realized some of her friends and I then started visiting like firemen up the, up the street there, uh, San Vicente. And they would tell me that she'd come running up in a pair of shorts and she got everybody's attention and... Um, so I knew that, you know, even though there were some statements right off the bat that he beat her up and he caused the police to come out and do all those things, um, if O.J. had really struck Nicole, other than pushing her or whatever might be the case, um, he's got large, large hands. I mean, he, if he had hauled back in a fit of rage uh, and struck her, I mean, he would have broke her neck right off the bat. And I knew that didn't happen. So, again, you know, it, it was one of those things that drew my curiosity. I ended up meeting uh, other people and tried to make a list of anybody who might be a suspect, including OJ. So I went down the line. I made, I think it was 13 possible suspects that if OJ didn't do it, um, let's look at the rest of them. And I did. And finally, when I came through all those, I came up with one major suspect that I felt was overlooked by the police department. He was 23 years old, 5'11", 235 pounds, on probation, mind you, for assault with a deadly weapon and a knife. And I then checked with LAPD. They had not interviewed him. Uh, they said he was represented by an attorney by the name of Carl Jones, and that Carl Jones refused to let him be interviewed by the police department. Well, you know, I'm an ex-policeman. I deal with murders all over the world. I've been inducted into Police Officers Hall of Fame with my work on homicides. That doesn't mean if an attorney tells you that uh, his client is not going to say anything, doesn't prevent the police department from bringing him in and letting him take the Fifth Amendment. Well, they didn't do that in this particular case. I started looking even further at this suspect. And then all of a sudden, I realized in my mind, this individual uh, who had not been investigated by the police department should have been. It was O.J. Simpson's son. Uh, who, like I said, is 23 years old. He he was the son of Marguerite, uh, which was O.J.'s first wife. Um, he had a sister, um, well-known as far as uh, being involved in drugs, alcohol, uh, had a bad temper. Uh, we then found an, a witness who on the night of his birthday, uh, 
had attacked um, his previous uh, a girlfriend. Well, no, that's not correct. I'm sorry. He attacked a, at a birthday party. There was a previous girlfriend who walked up and said, congratulations, uh, Jason. I want to wish you a happy birthday. At that point, uh, Jason's girlfriend said something derogatory, and Jason slapped her and told her straight out, you don't ever talk to her like that. Well, she ran out, got in the car, rolled up the windows. He came out with two of his friends. He bashed into window and pulled her out and got her by the throat and was choking her. Well, that to me should have been a major suspect originally, and it wasn't. And here this right, he was very strong, kind of young guy. Younger OJ was, I think, thirty nine or forty at the time. Or right. OJ you know, was up there. Yeah, OJ right. was up there in years. I mean, he wasn't the same OJ as before. And this young man, he had gone to college to play football. He wasn't the kind of athlete his dad was. In fact, we found a Sports Illustrated article many, many years prior to that when OJ was playing football and OJ was being interviewed. And uh, the reporter asked him something. He said, you know, I may have to quit football because my son Jason is a problem child. And uh, so that was in the article. And I thought, even though that article was many years ago, um, I always think those kind of things are important. And so I kind of followed up on that. Then I found that OJ and Marguerite had another child. Uh, her name was Aaron. And Jason, at that time, I think was 12 or something along that line. And he was supposed to be watching the child. And the child and Jason were in the backyard by the swimming pool. And the sister uh, was up washing OJ's and Marguerite's car. Jason supposedly walked off. And next thing you know, they find Aaron's body at the down at the bottom of the pool. Um, we knew that from interviewing a lot of people that, that Jason was really, really jealous over the, the way OJ was treating her and not him. And so I, I just think it all led to me looking at this with greater perspective. So he took his sister and tried to drown her. Is that what happened? No, I don't know that, that you know, we've never been able to prove any of that. In fact, people, this is probably the first time most people know that uh, OJ had uh, another child who was, like I said, 20, I think she was 23 months old. I'm doing this from memory. Um, Jason was supposed to be watching her and we don't know exactly what did happen. But Jason certainly wasn't supposed to let the child be back by the pool by herself at that age. Uh, and so Arnell, the other, OJ's other daughter, uh, the senior daughter, like I said, she was up washing the car. And next thing you know, something happened that brought the attention. Everybody went looking. The next thing you know, they see Aaron's body at the pool. They bring the child's body up and the, they rush it to a hospital where the child was pronounced dead. Now, that may mean nothing and it may mean something. It's very possible that with the jealousy that OJ had over the period of, I mean, Jason had over the period of years, um, caused him to do something then that he's had to live with all these years. But when you know that uh, Jason has had three attempted suicides, he's cut his wrists, he stabbed himself, he cut himself with pieces of glass, um, I've talked to several of his previous girlfriend. One girlfriend said they lived together and that when she was late one night, she came home and as she came in the door, Jason was really screaming at her. He picked her up, went into the bathroom with her over his head, threw in a toilet, I mean, excuse me, threw her in the bathtub, which had no water in it, and reached down with a, a, a chef's knife and cut off all her hair. 
Well, that's violence. I mean, that's, that's total different. violence. And I've never is, heard those stories. Wow. I know. Uh, most people haven't. I don't even think most of that's even in my book. But um, and wasn't isn't was, there evidence from the the night of the crime that indicated there was more than one person there, which wasn't included in the trial? Yeah, there was indication of uh, of shoe prints going one way and the other. I I talked to Dr. Henry Lee, is well respected person, as you probably heard about him. Mm-hmm. And he and I even talked about it, and he considered Jason, I think, uh, somebody of interest. But yet, LAPD had made that rush to judgment uh, and arrested OJ on it. So they never interviewed him. They didn't do anything with him. We brought it up to their attention, I guess, about a half a dozen times because I became involved in this thing. Nobody hired me. Nobody paid me. It was my money. But I felt of great interest if they were going to make this man the goat for a murder, then I wanted to know, did he or did he not do it? I, I have a good reputation. I don't play games with people. I'm there to solve a case, period. And in this particular case, I felt that uh, OJ could have very well been at the scene, but did mm-hmm. not commit murders. So I went on that particular area and then was able to prove with a witness uh, that uh, on the night of the murders, uh, Jason was the acting chef at Jackson's restaurant at 8908 Beverly Boulevard in Beverly Hills. And he was the acting chef, but normally he would be the sous chef. Alan mm-hmm. Ladd Jackson was the owner, uh, partial owner, but predominant owner, and would take off on Sunday. And this particular Sunday, uh, Jason took over and he was expecting Nicole to arrive with 13 guests. Well, she didn't arrive. She didn't even call him. He said she did, but we're able to verify the fact that she did not call him. And he was upset and mad because he put this thing together. He didn't want women to lie to him. I have a copy of his psychiatric records where he makes that statement. I do not like women to lie to me. So with that in mind, um, we felt that Jason um, could have gone off the deep end, gone over and confronted her, not to murder her, but to confront her why she didn't show up. And then from that point, we know that Nicole was one of those people who had a pretty bad temper herself. And so we know that she had slapped the maid when uh, she was confronting the maid because her children, uh, Jason and, I mean, um, the two younger children, had thrown some towels in the spa. And so the maid told him, don't do that. Your dad doesn't like it. Uh, Nicole came out and confronted the maid and slapped her. So we knew that it's very possible that if Jason had gone over there and confronted uh, Nicole, that she could have slapped him. Well, you don't do to that to somebody who suffers intermittent rage disorder. We kept going and further. We found that uh, Jason had checked into Cedar, Cedar Sinai Hospital in the emergency room prior to the murders and told the acting physician, I'm out of my medication, Depakote. And I'm about to rage. And we have that in documentation. You would think this would be of interest to the police department in L.A. I'm pro-policeman. But when I see the kind of work and shabby work that was done on this case, let me give you another example. When Van Etter, uh, when O.J. received a call that his wife had been murdered, he flew back from supposedly from Chicago. And on the plane, um, several people talked to him. And when he arrived, he drove to the house and was confronted by the police department, placed in handcuffs, 
Van Inner Lang came out, had him take the handcuffs off, started talking to him, and O.J. had offered um, his overnight case for them to look at. Uh, and so they looked at there was nothing inside of it, but yet O.J. had a cut on his left, uh, one of his left fingers. Right. They took him down to the jail, Van Inner Lang did, and took him in front of a man who'd been 37 years with the LAPD as the registered nurse in charge, uh, Thano Paritis. Mr. Paritis, who I gained a great deal of respect for, confronted OJ and offered to doctor the little wound. And OJ said, no, it's fine. And they uh, asked for him to take all his clothes off. Uh, Thano checked him from stem to stern, found no marks, no bruises, which if you're in a battle with a man who does karate, you're certainly going to have some indication of march on him, but there were no march on him. They then drew eight cc's of blood. Van Etter asked Thano Paritis, let me have the vial of blood. Thano told him, this is a conversation between me and Thano Paritis in front of a witness or two, and said that I can't do that. That's against protocol. And so he said, I want the blood. Give it to me. I'll assume the responsibility. So he puts it in his left side coat pocket. They leave. Now they go back to the place of residence. And next thing you know, uh, they wanted to gain entrance into it. So uh, Lang went for a search warrant. Well, Van Etter stuck around to protect the scene. He went inside the house. And we believe, no doubt in my mind whatsoever, they pulled out a pair of socks from the hamper because there was no other clothes hanging around. They were all in a hamper. OJ was known to change clothes at least twice a day, take at least two showers a day, was fastidious as far as his clothes and the way they hung. There was nothing in the clothes hamper. And then when the search warrants, okay, they came back in and checked. And sure enough, these pair of socks were laying at the foot of the bed. And when they put the socks in evidence, they found that there was blood from OJ, Nicole, on the, the socks. What general public does not know is that that blood on the socks went from foot to foot, in other words, side to side. There, would, there could have been no foot inside that pair of socks. In addition to that, the uh, socks contained EDTA. Well, we even have a little bit of EDTA and soap powder, but not to the extreme that it was in these pair of socks. Now, I then went to one of the top Frederick Reeder, which was the top blood expert that the FBI uses. And he said to me, Mr. Deer, I am telling you as my profession and my experience that the blood that appears on those socks came from a vial of blood and was dripped on those socks. Wow. Well, that indicated to me, let's talk about it. How much blood was in that vial? Donald Pride has told me there was eight. I believe date when I checked, there was only 6.5 that Van Etter turned over to um, the crime scene tech at the crime scene of Nicole's, only 6.5. What wow. happened to the 1.5? That just plenty of blood could be dripped on the socks, except for one thing. They didn't realize in the haste by dripping the blood on the socks, socks they would go from side to side, which right. meant to be no foot in it. Wow, that's incredible. So that totally changes the whole character of the case. It's understood by the public. And Correct. that wouldn't be the first time that LAPD or some of those police forces would uh, juice a scene, so, so to speak. Well, but, let me add, let me add please, on top please, of please. that. We found that Jason and Lamar Simpson, 
at the time of the murders, was on probation for assaulting his previous employer, guess what, with a knife. And was on probation at the time, but why? It's, it's, I mean, this, we teach this to amateur detectives, not to professionals. Why would you not bring him in? Even if he took the fifth, you have certain questions that you need to ask of him. A man's on probation for assaulting his previous employer with a knife. I finally interviewed this man and have on film. The man said, I was never so scared in my life. I had terminated the fire, Jason. He comes back into the restaurant grabs me by the collar, marches me outside, pushes me against the wall, starts hitting me, kicking me. I'm on the ground. He's still stomping me. And I heard the little voice say, please, Jason, quit. Quit, Jason. You're going to kill him. And it turned out to be one of our eyewitnesses, a young lady that he had been dating at the time, who, by the way, he had cut off all her hair. So there you, there you go. you got a man that's got a violent temper. We have his psychiatric records. Uh, I mean, and quit taking his Depakote because he ran out just prior to the murders, assaulting two different women. Why would that not have been a major suspect of great interest to the LAPD and to the district attorney's office? I filed the Freedom of Information Act asking to look at the, the knit cap that was found at the crime scene because I felt there should be and could have possibly been something in that knit cap uh, that would have been important to us. And sure enough, we know what it was. We have a picture of Jason at his residence, and there he is in bed with his dog, and he's got the knit cap on. Well, when you're wow. wrestling with your dog, what happens to the hair? It's going to go into the knit cap. But they claimed, and I have this to proof, this is not hearsay or baloney. This is a fact that I said, okay, let us examine it with y'all present, with our experts and your experts. Let's see what's in the knit cap. We can't find the knit cap, Mr. Deer, but I promise you, according to the DA, and I have the DA's name, as soon as we do find it, we will allow you to do just that. Month wow. passed, month passed, and lo and behold, I find the knit cap. Where was it? Well, guess what? LAPD was putting on a special event for other police departments in Las Vegas, Nevada, of where they had uh, Sirham, Sirham, where he had shot uh, Kennedy. Kennedy. In addition to that, there was a plexiglass. In that plexiglass was the knit cap and the pair of gloves that were found at the crime scene. But yet, according to them, they didn't know where they were. Wow. I mean, this is so you see the obstruction, right? So they were they were set on OJ. Oh, absolutely. They had made their point. I I sent an email to uh, the LAPD and came back and we have the detective's name and the police officer's name. We said OJ was found not guilty. But as far as we're concerned, OJ is guilty. Case closed. Well, the case never closes on unsolved murders. I don't care what that young officer said. I don't care what he put on that email. That's not true. A murder is a murder, and a murder is never cleared until it is, in fact, cleared. So that alone, I knew that I was going to be running to dead ends. Well, according now, they reopened it. Well, they haven't. I mean, I know what they're doing because I have two friends who keep me posted, and they have no intention whatsoever. Now, let me tell you this one so that your audience knows of this. Okay. I got When my first book came out, I, I did it on my own nickel to see what might happen and whether I would get any calls from anybody. And sure enough, we did. And the man 
sent me an email and he said, Mr. Deer, I have what you need. And I said, what is it that you have? He said, I'll visit with you. I flew out and visited with him and he handed me um, a box and a box that he had bought at a um, flea market. And it turned out to be inside the box, paraphernalia from Jason Lamar Simpson, including a football, the jacket he wore when he spoke to the jury, I mean, to, to General Parker after the jury found OJ not guilty, and he spoke for his dad. At the bottom, though, were three binders. And guess what? They were his diaries. It's the year of the knife for me. I cut away my problems with a knife. I cut away my, I cut away any of those who tried to hurt my family. Wow. And on and on and on. But more than that, William, I end up finding at the bottom of the box a knife. I pulled it out, was shocked that you could see where he had notched on the knife, J.S., Jason Simpson. We then checked it and found that it was a replica of a Gerber Mark V designed for one purpose and one person purpose only, and that was to cut and to kill. It has a handle so that when your hand comes down, like if he was using a chef's knife, it would have slid all the way down and could have cut his hand. But when you put your hand on this knife, it has a guard to protect that. Right but Hilton, yeah, uh, yeah, hilt. When we brought that forward, we talked to a lot of people from... Uh, the knife companies, and they said that this knife uh, was a double-bladed knife. Well, they said it could have been a double-bladed knife or a single-bladed knife that killed Nicole and Ron Goldman. Well, it, it spoke to the issue except for one thing. At the top of this knife, the hilt had been removed, wax had been poured in, and the edges were ragged and rugged in different places. I then took it to one of the top medical examiners in the world, Dr. Vincent DeMaio at San Antonio. He and I did the exhumation of Lee, of Lee Harvey Oswald. I had him examine it, and he matched it perfectly to the wound sustained by Nicole Brown Simpson. Wow, matched it perfectly. Funny. Can you imagine that? But it still wasn't good enough for LAPD. And I had to be, as I've said redundantly here, pro-policeman. But when you match that up, and that was the only thing in this storage facility was this box. There it was, the football, the pictures, the pictures of him and Nicole. Uh, and there was a knife and the diaries. I promise you, I sat back and read those things over and over and over. And to me, I have and can put together a solid case involving Jason Lamar Simpson. Wow, that's incredible. And also you have in your intro of your book, you have this statement by from Cyril Wecht who says, O.J. probably was involved in the slings, but I don't think he did it alone. He must have had help. And it would be that Simpson was not the person wielding the knife. So he kind of has that same opinion, too. Right? Well, let me tell you, so I'm glad that's I was hoping to bring that up because of the fact that we were able to determine uh, in our mind uh, that we know that O.J. was at the crime scene. There's no doubt about it. I, I firmly agree that O.J. Simpson was at the. But what he didn't know that off to the left, as you came down Bundy and turned right on to Dorothy, there was a private investigator on an assignment back on another street who was watching that particular alleyway. All right. When he did, he saw a car pull off of Dorothy 
and opened and started down the alleyway. And as it came off of Bundy onto Dorothy, he noticed it particularly because the headlights then were suddenly turned off. When it passed him, he could he could barely see, but he put his binoculars up. He said, I think I know who that is. The vehicle pulled down the alleyway, parked behind the coals, and then there is nothing for about four or five minutes. Door opens, O.J. Simpson gets out and comes around toward the back and puts on a pair of gloves. He then walks out and around the vehicle, enters the back gate, headed toward the alley, I mean, toward the walkway that I had gone down. While he's doing that, the driver then climbs over the console and gets behind the running car. In other words, it was still running, headlights off. And then within about five, I mean, 15, 10 to 15 minutes, OJ comes out back gate, but this time he has no clothes on. Only clothes he had was a pair of boxer shorts. In his left arm, he had rolled up his clothes and climbed in the car by reaching up with his right hand and opened the door of the vehicle that was his, the Jeep, that, I mean, the vehicle that you, the Bronco that you saw in the so-called car chasing, and climbs into the pasture side. Okay, that placed him at the crime scene. But to me, what that was, was the second time. Jason was there before. OJ came this time, first time for OJ Simpson, but the second time for Jason Lamar Simpson. We also found the watch, that important watch that was on Nicole's hand. We know that when the blood, the knife came down and struck her from the butt of the knife and rendered her unconscious, she fell to the floor and landed on the concrete. Her left hand came down and hit the concrete, causing the watch to stop at 9.59.9 seconds. Not 10.15, as Marsha Clark wants you to believe. Not 10.35, as Marsha Clark wants you to believe. But 9.59, which is the perfect time that fit because Jason left the restaurant. We know what time he left the restaurant. We know what time he was approached by Jennifer Green, which was his girlfriend at the time, who was driving his Jeep, the 1993. And so when they left there, we know that Jason took her by the house because we interviewed her. He dropped her off and he was mad. And no doubt he was mad. She, the family didn't show up for the meal he was cooking and preparing. Right. So, right. so he's angry, and then you see that overkill, too, because she was brutally yeah. slain. This was too. a rage killing. This wasn't done by an amateur. They said, well, it was a professional. Uh, that's a bunch of hooey. I've dealt with professionals. That was not a professional kill. That was done by an amateur, a person suffering from rage, and that rage was definitely not O.J. Simpson. Because of all this, O.J.'s ended up going uh, you know, to jail for something he didn't, didn't do in Las Vegas, Nevada. We know all the details about it. They couldn't, as the police officer said to me, we couldn't get him in Las Vegas. We couldn't get him in L.A., but we're going to get him in Las Vegas. Simple. They were out to get him, and by damn it, they did get him. Wow, it's really incredible. And, I mean, there is like a footprint that they couldn't recognize at the scene, right? That didn't Absolutely. fit the Bruno Mogley shoes or whatever. O.J. used to have all these shoes, and he did have Bruno Mogley. There was no doubt about it, but he called them an ugly pair of shoes. Now, Jason, we know, lived at the house on and off all the time, and he wore O.J.'s clothes. Oh, by the way, O.J.'s foot is a size 12. Jason is 11 and, I think, 11 and three quarters. So close that anybody wearing 11 and a 12 could have actually worn a size 12. Right. Yet they did not even think 
that thoroughly enough that somebody like myself, and I'm not sticking my fingers up in the air and say, wow, wow, I'm just telling you the facts. They had an opportunity to bring this case to, to fruition. They didn't do it. The case is sitting there now, and nobody wants to do anything about it. But I don't intend to give up. I'm not. We did a six-part miniseries, 2016, six-part series. We brought in two uh, police officers, former officers. We let them be the bad guys picking on me, trying to debunk all my information. And at the end, I was able to turn to, to one of them and say, I'll agree to disagree, but O.J. Simpson did not commit the murders. Wow. And where is that six-part series? It appeared it on Discovery, Discovery, Discovery ID. It was their number one show. Um, but the six-part series, six one-hour shows narrated by uh, Martin Sheen. Oh, wow. And your book on Amazon right now has 285 star ratings. It's very well written and very, I mean, I think it's 500 pages of information. Yes, it is. I made sure that every detail that we could compare, I, I wanted all the questions to be answered. I can't answer them all. I wasn't there when the murders occurred. I know that. But I do know that based on the fact of doing this for 30 to 40 years, I can put together certain aspects of it that make me believe this is in all probability the way it really happened. And I hope that every step that I took in this book, the people who read it take it and make up their own mind. Let let them believe that OJ is guilty at the beginning. And then at the end, I promise you, I can only tell you that hundreds and hundreds of people have written me and said, didn't believe, I believed he was guilty at first. I don't believe he's guilty now. And that's wow, sad yeah, that's a- because he's still strapped with that OJ's guilty. Right. No, it's really amazing. It, it, it's, it's strange that the cops didn't, have a wider net that they really were OJ focused. It really is something else. Too many phone calls from the top. <clears throat> even bad, Dan, yeah. even Dan Rather said on the cover of my book, it's it's. I've turned up some very interesting, troubling information about the case. It's information that deserves to be put before the public. It deserves careful consideration. Now Dan Rather's been in the news business for years, and he even gave me that endorsement. Right. And you have a lot of endorsements on the intro to the book. Uh, where's the best place for people to get it? Is it on Amazon? Actually, we own all the all the books right now. We pulled what few were left. They were only in paperback through uh, Amazon and Skyhorse published it originally. We're thinking that we first of the year we may republish it with a couple of things that not a couple, but a number of things that we left out originally that we've gained now. Gotcha. And I think, in fact, you might have missed the earlier part of the conversation, but Bill said that the reason was Jason was angry that they didn't show up at the restaurant that he was cooking for Nicole for 13 other people. And so he must have shown up angry and maybe she antagonized him. I mean, is it your theory that Goldman happened upon the scene or was he there? Oh, too? I, I think Goldman, Goldman was the waiter that night uh, at Mesa Luna's. Mesa Luna's, uh, I don't go into too much Mesa Luna's, but um, Nicole used to go there quite often. Um, so he was expected to go over there. Remember, everybody knows, supposedly, uh, Nicole's mother, after leaving Messalona, had misplaced her wallet, I think it was, and it was found on the curb. And so um, he said he agreed to bring it over there. Well, what they didn't know is arrangement that had already been made for uh, uh, Ron Goldman to be there anyway. She put when I got ice cream, oh, this is, let me tell you something that's very important on this. Uh, keeping this in mind that we know that O.J. Simpson went to the recital for Sydney. 
At that time, he was under the understanding that Nicole was having two of her friends over uh, that night to spend the night. Uh, he didn't know that at the very last moment, uh, the child, the two children could not come. So when he left that restaurant, he knew that she was having a sleepover. How do you plan a premeditated murder when you know not only is Jason, I mean, uh, Sydney and her brother uh, are there and the two other children are there. You're planning a premeditated murder where you're going to murder their mother. Come on. It, it doesn't even make sense. Right. That's, what, that's a good point. So when you start adding this up and then when you look at the look at the shoes, you look at the gloves, you look at the uh, all the evidence and the blood by Van Etter. Van Etter is deceased now, and I'm not trying to pick on deceased detectives. I don't do that. But I will say this. I know that Thanoparitis gave him the vial of blood. I do know that when he turned it back in, only at 6.5. I know that 1.5 was missing. I think that all of a sudden there was originally a rush to judgment that O.J. Simpson was guilty, and we have a problems of putting this together because he's a high-known celebrity. They didn't even think about it at the time. But when you also know that I've put together all these people, we, we have polygraphed people over and over. We even polygraphed the so-called witness that was actually a licensed private investigator, as I said, on surveillance that night, who saw the vehicle pull in and saw OJ come out holding the wrapped up clothes in his left hand. Now we know there was blood found on the console. Okay, that would have come from the fact that OJ gets in, puts some items to his left, and that would have touched the console. But let me also tell you this. William, I have Jason Lamar Simpson's Jeep. I purchased it when he tried to hide it. He hid it for about six months. We knew where it was. I bought it from a way. I will only say that I had certain people who went in and bought it. And so it's sitting in my crime lab, which is at my ranch in Mount Calm, just uh, northeast of Waco. Uh, I have that plus all the photographs. I have pictures that you've never seen before, even in trial. And wow. the fact all these witnesses have come forward. We have the evidence. We have enough to get an indictment if they would just do it. But I'm not a California resident. It has to be the grand jury is asked for by a representative that lives and votes in California. If that's the case, in most cases, they will grant a grand jury hearing. If we got a chance to go before a grand jury, I know based on what we had, we'd get our indictment. Wow. So you're looking for one California resident to... Uh get this put in front of a grand jury, right? Well, we think we have that one. Uh, oh, gotcha. We'll know more in January. We felt that, that, you know, we spent a long time. Most people say, oh, who cares about this OJ thing? But when you hear books mentioned, it's OJ or this. It's brought up, I don't want to see that. He was cleared the other day, allowed to become early on pro off probation uh, for the oh. so-called situation that occurred in Las Vegas. Um, I'm, I'm all for it. That man's 70 years old. And plus, um, he went to prison for something he didn't do. He tried to protect somebody, and he did. He did his very best to protect, and as far as I'm concerned, O.J. Simpson is protecting his son, Jason Lamar Simpson. Wow. It's incredible. I think you've got the evidence to show it all true. I mean, it's an incredible job. And you can look through this book, how, how thorough it is. That, And you really kind of summarize it at the very end. O.J. hates Bud blood why was kids there um you know just why doesn't secluded 
Like he goes to his wife's house. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. Premeditated. It doesn't make sense. It, it's more of like a rage killing to me too. Excellent job, Bill Deer. Where's the best place to get the book or where can people reach out to your website? BillDeer.com uh, yes. Bill is probably the only place until we decide what we're going to do as far as this coming year. I think right now we will probably uh, ask for a grand jury hearing, no matter what. I know that a Lieutenant Dupree is in charge of the cold case, but he, he's like all of, I have a, a very close person that we became uh, involved in uh, who told me they have no intentions whatsoever of allowing this case to continue with any possible grand jury involvement. They know that if it does, it's going to come out. I mean, you're talking about, right. I mean, the evidence there, I didn't make right. it up. But it affects so all of these people's careers. It affects the whole process of the system. Why didn't this get involved? It brings a lot of things into con con conflict that I think a lot of people wouldn't want it to come out. I could understand that. Well, you know, the, the guy who owned the restaurant um, had a silent partner, and I won't name him, He's uh, but he's in the book, but not under his real name. And he said that he found out that his partner, uh, Alan Ladd Jackson, had given Jason an airtight alibi that he was cooking in front of 200 people. And he said to me, Mr. Deer, Alan should not and could not and should not have done it whatsoever because he was with me and my wife that night. There is no way that he was at the restaurant. Sunday nights were the worst time to have the restaurant open. There were only 30 some odd people there that night. The restaurant closed early and there's no way that 200 people were served on the night of June 12th. Wow, incredible. Incredible book. Great work. Again, the title of the book is OJ is Innocent, I Can Prove It, The Shocking Truth About the Murders of Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman, published 2012 by William C. Deere. And his uh, website is www.buildeer.com. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right. Take care. Stay there. Stay there. All right. Awesome.